Teaching Channel Talks. As often as I can, I talk to expert educators about how to best address the most challenging issues in education. In this episode, I've got a clip for you from a recent webinar with Shannon Rice and Keely Keller. Our webinar was School Year Success Strategies to Instill Positive Behavior in the Classroom. How, how do we start when we're talking about expectations? There's a word I'm looking for. Yeah, they well, they need to be high expectations. Yes. High expectations. Yes. 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 And and we, you know, we just always need to be expecting that students can reach the these levels or what we're we are expecting. And and if they can't, it's okay to provide scaffolds or supports. Um, but don't don't change the expectation. If your expectation is that you know, when students enter the classroom, they sit down and do bell work, then that high expectation should be there for all the students. And if you need to then scaffold or support some students in being able to do that, that's acceptable. Um, but we do want students to reach for high expectations. Um, I would say as far as setting and communicating them, obviously we're setting high expectations. The communicating them part really is, again, about teaching. Um, but we like to talk about, Shannon, I know you do too, about the use of visuals and pairing the expectation with a visual that can be posted somewhere in your classroom. Or if you're doing this school-wide, it might be posted in the hallway or in the cafeteria, depending upon the environment, right? So visuals, posting them, um, try to teach or communicate the information in a variety of formats. If you use some multi-sensory opportunities, um, or even some media or um, peer interaction, a lot of time it, learning becomes more sticky that way. So I would encourage you to use some different ideas and how you're, how you're teaching it. Share the information about your high expectations with parents and guardians so that they know also what is expected in the school or the classroom. And then they can help the student practice those things at home or in the community. And they can provide that positive reinforcements of specific verbal praise if in fact um, you need that, that support through the family members. And then, as I said before, collaborate, 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 because if there's a student who needs additional support with behavior, more than likely um, you're going to be able to work with some other team members to be proactive, to reteach, to pre-teach, um, maybe work on skill building, specific gap areas, and then generalization as well. This is great. Shannon, I wanted to ask you specifically to share some strategies for how a teacher can work to adjust or to communicate expectations at the individual student level. So some of the things that teachers can really do to support students, and I'm thinking particularly of some of our friends that might have some difficulty with regulation, maybe looking at some different tools within a classroom. Thinking about ways that we can communicate maybe non-verbally, oftentimes we tend to add more language and that can oftentimes compound our challenges. Finding visual tools, finding ways we can modify our environment to support students, finding ways we can look at sensory options for students and really working with your educational team. Great people to reach out to are gonna be your special education teachers, Occupational therapists are phenomenal when we're talking about regulation. Speech pathologists are great when you're talking about other ways in which you can communicate with students beyond just verbal tools and looking at how can we really break down tasks for kids. Taking a task that for them might be overwhelming, 
break it down into smaller pieces and make sure that we're acknowledging and celebrating that small progress. They might not have completed the entire piece, but maybe they've reached step one. And let's celebrate that progress. Let's use the data to talk about progress and moving toward that goal the same way we would with academic skills. Let's make sure we're celebrating that progress with behavioral skills as well. Thank you for that. Keely's telling us have high expectations and Shannon's saying and monitor the progress towards them. So really complimentary advice from each of you as we think about expectations. Let's talk about uh, relationships, but I, I, I want to move because we know communication certainly relies on relationships and, and I want to look at some specific relationship builders. Keely, what are these really about? <laughs> well, Rita Pearson, in her presentation, Every Kid Needs a Champion, said kids do better for the people they like. And <laughs> maybe that sounds like simple advice, but the truth is, is that you, you want to build a trusting relationship with learners, especially students who have experienced trauma or maybe have mental health challenges um, or are more just, just a little bit more challenging to you personally. That happens. We do have kids that are harder for us to work with. And so, um, you know, we kind of encourage you to build these relationships because kids do better for the people they like. Um, and as Shannon said, once you start to really get to know your student as a human, but also as a learner, then you can really start to use that information to um, intervene with some of the behavior. So things like you will likely be able to identify the function of a behavior if you know your student well. Um, you would be able to figure out what is coming right before the behavior that's an antecedent that I might be able to remove to get rid of the behavior. Um, you're going to understand if certain strategies like behavior contracts or social stories or motor breaks are appropriate for your student. Um, and if they're not, then what, what kinds of things are appropriate for your student? Um, and then, of course, instruction you're you're going to be better equipped to teach academics and behavioral social emotional skills if you know the learner inside and out because you're going to know what works for them what you know how do they learn best what doesn't work for them what hasn't worked for them in the past because i'm not going to repeat that idea right um and so even knowing what hasn't worked can be useful um, but getting to know your kids and then I guess basically just the reason that we all probably got into teaching was because we wanted to build relationships with kids. Um, and it really, I think all of us want to do that from the get-go anyway. Shannon, give me more. I think one of the biggest things is about knowing our kids as people, because that really is what we want to do is we love being with these young people and helping them grow into the amazing people that they will become. And so knowing who they are as individuals really will help us down the road. And one of the big keys is learning about who these students are and how they communicate and learning all these unique things about them, learning their favorites and their sense of humor and their background really helps us understand how they are communicating with us. And sometimes that really helps because the way in which students communicate with us, the message they send or that they want us to get isn't always the message that we receive. And it's important for us to not let our own biases and understandings get in the way of that communication. And so the more we know about our students, the more likely we are to be able to understand that message that they're trying to send to us. So getting to know our kids, 
getting to know our students really helps us with that. So we can kind of cut through some of those extras, really get to the heart of that message, and then we can help meet those needs because our students are communicating something to us and we really need to get that need so we can help meet that need and then get around that to teach, all right, here's your need. Here is what would be the socially acceptable way to communicate that need in this setting. Let's teach that. No, I just saw something come up from Cindy. Um, yeah. it's a, sorry, I just want to comment on it. She says, Cindy Merkelson says, in our school, those who need extra academic or social emotional support are assigned to a special adult who is not in their classroom. And I think that concept or like every student is known, they'll put the pictures up and the staff will go through and say, oh, I know this child, I know this child. That's really helpful because if you think about some of these kids that are coming to school with emotional or social or behavioral challenges, oftentimes school is the safest place. It is the best place that they can be during the school day. And so the more that as teachers, we can love on them and build relationships with them, um, the better. Yep. I saw a comment once that said, if we change our mindset from thinking of children as attention seeking to thinking of them as connection seeking, that that really can change the way in which we approach meeting their needs. Because that really is what they're thinking about. Instead of attention seeking, they are connection seeking. You, you may have the best relationship with the students in your classroom, you may have the, you may be the adult with the best relationship. You may spend more waking time with the students in your classes than anybody else. And uh, so I would ask you, please do not underestimate the impact that you have when you take the time to connect well with your students. It's incredible. And you may, and you may never know it. Yeah. Let's uh, talk a little bit about learning environments. I think sometimes people feel like there are some contexts where it's easier to build relationships. It's easier to set up behavioral expectations. Things are just easier in some spaces than others, but all spaces deserve positive proactive behavior uh, plans. And uh, let's take some time here for an important discussion about this. We all have preferences for learning environments, but let's talk about the contexts. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So positive behavior looks a lot like engagement. And sometimes behavior that's challenging looks a lot like a lack of engagement, especially in these different learning contexts that we've dealt with over the last, I guess, three years now or two and a half years. Um, and then, of course, as we move forward, because we know that learning is taking places, like, taking place in all different types of environments or contexts. But but really the one priority is that you're still focused on the student. The student, the student is at the center. What they need instructionally, whether that be academic or behavioral, is the most important piece. And whether you're online or hybrid or asynchronous or single classroom or multiple instructors, it's still back to that same kind of instructional idea of you have to teach these things. So even if you're teaching an online course, you may have to teach the expectations or the behaviors at the beginning of the course. Um, sometimes in a physical class, it may look like out of place or their heads down at a student who likes to be turned around completely in his chair, um, so not facing forward. And if you said sit straight, he would argue that he was, he was just facing the wrong direction. And so, um, you know, it does, sometimes you have to take the time to kind of, I guess, be very 
um, explicit or intentional, as Shannon likes to say, about what it is that you're expecting from the students um, in any of these settings. Um, you know, for, for an online, some strategies that work to increase engagement in an online setting are asking students to unmute. One of the things that Wendy asked Shannon and I to do today was to unmute so that we wouldn't have to be distracted by the mouse and I was worrying about where it is. And then it, it allows your teaching and learning to be more conversational. And so that's one way to keep students engaged. Cameras on, um, use chat to check in one-on-one. -on -one. If you notice a student is maybe playing solitaire behind the um, actual window that they're supposed to be working in, um, you know, maybe it's time to send a little one-on-one <laughs> -on -one chat to the student and see you know, how they're doing, what they understand, what they may need more assistance with. Um, and then of course, through with anything, and this is the same, whether you're in a physical classroom or online, or it's provide that choice, provide interest-based learning, use the information you know about your students to keep them actively engaged. Media tends to work well, social activities tends to work well um, as well. Um, and then in hybrid learning environments, obviously you would teach the same online learning things that you would expect for the online portion. But for the hybrid, like the asynchronous portion, the portion that they're doing on their own, um, I would say you would like maybe provide a checklist for the different things that they need to get done during that asynchronous time. Um, you could offer up or partner up peers so that if a student had a question, they could first go to the peer to, to get support. Um, and then you could also office, uh, offer office hours um, to students as well um, so that if they're not getting what they need during that asynchronous time or during the online time that you're still addressing the needs that they have. Um, and then finally, if you have, if you have multiple instructors um, for a course or for a class, one thing that you can do is sit down together with the instructors and really come again to that common language or the same expectations. Um, so that the students, regardless of the instructor, are hearing the same verbiage, they, they feel the same expectation. Um, and then it's great for those teachers to collaborate and discuss what they're seeing, um, because maybe there's one student who is doing really well for Mrs. Johnson, but not doing so well for Mr. Smith, right? So, and, or maybe this, there's one student who's challenged all across all instructors, and then, you know, they can plan out a consistent response to that behavior. Um, and then I would also say front load relationships um, with those teachers, with students. And that means, you know, if you need to do an introduction to each teacher with your student or whatever it might be, but just make sure that you're front loading that relationship building. Um, and so the student knows that instructor better or the multiple different instructors that they would have. I'm a big fan when we talk about contexts and ensuring that we're working every possible angle to keep our students engaged and focused. I'm a fan of recommending using video to, uh, to see our own teaching practice. Record yourself. If you're in a, an online or hybrid space, record the class and see what you do well and see where you have opportunities for improvement. If you're in the classroom, you can do that with putting your phone in the corner of the room so you can hear and see yourself 
your lived experience may be different than what you are able to see when you watch yourself. And that this, this virtual world has given us an incredible opportunity to see good teaching. There's been a lot of clinical neuroscience research right now. Now that there's so much available online, we can, we can study it better because we can watch and rewatch. And so we're in a good position to up our game in this discussion. And so I would encourage you to think about using video there. Thank you for joining me for this episode, an excerpt from a recent webinar, School Year Success, Strategies to Instill Positive Behavior in the Classroom. You can find the links to the things that Shannon and Keely and I talked about in the show notes below or at teachingchannel.com slash podcast. Leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast listening app you use. It will help more educators to find us. See you soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. 